This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. Well, hey, School Success Makers, and welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater. I'm joined by a new friend out of the great state of California, Chris Rutz, and he is a long, long time school educator. He's been a head of school for many years. I think it's like 17 he was doing that. He'll say that here in just a little bit, but he is now an educational consultant with his own consulting company, Rutz Educational Consulting, doing some really cool things, and that's why I wanted to have him on because his background is extensive in Christian education, and I knew he'd be a great one to have on for us to all learn from. That's you guys, as well as me, learn from him and what he's doing. But before I jump in and introducing him and letting him talk about himself, I do want to do a sweet shout out to our sponsor, America's Christian Credit Union. You guys have might have heard about them before as they started to sponsor our podcast, but they are celebrating 65 years of service this year, and they're providing essential school banking services, tuition financing programs for schools who are looking to reduce the risk and the administrative burden that they are running into for kind of going after people if they're needing to get tuition recouped. I know that's a lot of burden that schools, specifically Christian schools, are dealing with where they get to the end of the year and Maybe not everybody has paid fully back what they need to pay for tuition and they're trying to chase those dollars. But one of the things they do is offer specifically the tuition financing loans for the school to actually send people to go to them directly and get those. And then they don't have to worry about it. They get all their money up front. So if you're a school that's having tuition and you need help managing that, you need to go check out America's Christian Credit Union. You can check them out online, americaschristiancu.com forward slash schools. That's americaschristiancu.com forward slash schools. Great people over there, good friends of mine, so go check them out. Well, as we dive into today's episode, I will pass this off to Chris to introduce himself, and then we'll dive right in. So Chris, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you, Mitchell. It's great to be here. I really love what you're doing. I think that one of the most important things that we do is collaborate and communicate and share ideas and content because what Christian school leaders do, or school leaders in general do, is just some of the most challenging work. And if you're ahead of school listening to this, you know nobody gets how hard this job is. And so I'm happy to share a little bit of insight and hopefully be of some assistance to, to our listeners today. Love it. Well, I always love making small talk in the beginning. And you live in a place that is beautiful and obviously tons of people live there. So I'd love to, I always ask this, so if I was to come visit you, what would you say, Mitchell, you gotta go do this, you gotta eat this, or whatever it is, what would you say I have to do when I, go, when I come visit one day? Well, you gotta go to the beach. We're in California. I live in San Juan Capistrano, which is nestled between sort of Dana Point and Mission Viejo and San Clemente to the south, and our beaches are as beautiful as you can possibly find. It's great hiking, great outdoor activities. I'm one of 
like 12 Californians who does not surf. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, so, you know, but if you're an adventurous sort, you should definitely try out surfing. The beach is the place to be here in California. Love it. Well, I do love to surf here in Florida, South Florida, where I'm at. I'm not great at it, but hey, I can get up and ride a wave in, and that is quite the thrill. It's quite fun. My only knock on California that I have, like, my wife would love to live in California. I'm like, babe, the water's cold. Like, I've, anytime I've gone to California, I get them like, it's freezing, and our Florida waters are, are warm in the summertime. So maybe sure. one day I'll be over yes. there. Yes, that is absolutely true, but you know, you just got to suck it up. Put on a wetsuit. <laughs> I guess that's true. I can wear a wetsuit. I just don't like wearing a wetsuit. I want to just be, you know, my swimsuit. So I get it. But diving right in, because I know we have a lot we can chat about today. You've been in education for a while. So before I kind of jump into the regular questions that I do, I love you kind of just give everybody who's listening a background on you and kind of how you got to where you are today before we jump into those questions. Yeah, I think I've been really blessed with a wide variety of experiences. Started out as a public school teacher. For the first eight years of my career, I was a middle school history teacher. And high school, I taught history and government and you know, all the social sciences. And I loved what I did. In the early 2000s, I did my master's degree in educational leadership at the University of Oregon. And I started thinking about leadership. And you know, my thought was, in Oregon at that time, I don't know if this is still the case, but they required every teacher to have their master's degree within the first seven years of teaching. So you had to work toward it, which I think is great. A highly educated you know, workforce, continuing education is super important. And when I heard about this master's in educational leadership, I thought, well, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to get my master's out of this thing and fulfill a requirement, maybe understand a little bit more about how the big picture works, or I'll actually have a sense of calling toward that. And the latter is what happened. Within the first year, I knew that I was, I mean, I got into teaching because I love kids and I love the content and I love ministry work. I was, you know, really, I was in youth ministry in my college years. And so, you know, I didn't really think of myself as a school leader. But then as I started to learn about it and realize that you can influence more people as you, you know, widen your sphere of influence in terms of creating an environment that is just the best it possibly can be. Well, that just, it does take away that interpersonal, like just being in, in kids' lives, which I still miss, you know, to the depth that I enjoyed as a teacher, but the rewards have been worth it. So I got into leadership in 2005, I guess it was, and at that time I left public education. I started as an assistant head of school at a Christian school in Pacific Palisades, California. Absolutely gorgeous place. was there for seven years. And then I took on a headship in Santa Barbara for four years. And then most recently, the last six here in San Juan Capistrano. And so in those roles, it's been an incredible privilege to be a part of taking schools that were, I mean, amazing places, right? but we're surviving more than thriving. And, you know, I think that's our calling and our most important thing that we can possibly do is to make sure that our schools are not just there, but that they are maximizing their impact and education. I love what I do. And being in a consulting role has been really rewarding because it's allowed me to take one more step back and say, 
how can I support these Christian school leaders to help them thrive in their positions? Because at the top, like I said, this is one of the hardest jobs you can possibly do. So that's what I'm doing right now, and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Love it. And you just did that last year, I think. You, you transitioned away from the school, correct? Yes. Yeah. Now, what kind of got, gave you that, like, okay, I'm thinking, like, you've been doing this for a while to make that, that transition to doing what you're doing now. What was your thought process? What kind of gave you that, I guess, that idea to move in that direction? Yeah. Well, you know, I think really you always have to ask yourself, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now? Have I accomplished everything that I can accomplish? And I really became clear that this was a calling for me from the Lord to be doing this work as a consultant for this season of my life. I don't really think I'm done being ahead of school. I love it. I miss the community tremendously. But, you know, when you kind of have that really clear sense of calling from the Lord that this is what he's calling me to for this season, that's really what has caused me to step up in this, in this endeavor. So I kind of think it'll be at some point, I will not stop consulting, but I also think I'm not done being ahead of school as well. Oh, I love that. So everybody's listening, they're like, oh my gosh, we need a head of school at our school. And you're going to be like, get all these phone calls and emails from people. So, oh yes, I'm sure. Well, you obviously like we talked about it, you've been in this for a while so you've seen education change a lot over the years and from being ahead of school and then also being in the consultant role i'd love to just hear from you like in terms of like challenges like if you what you guys maybe were up against or maybe what you've seen in the edu- in the consulting side of like what are some of these challenges but not just like the challenges how are they combating them what's the best way to kind of go about these challenges that schools are up against that you've seen yeah yeah it's a really it is a very challenging time in, in education across the board, private, public, and everywhere in between. So think about the things that I think the greatest challenges are. There's three. I think, you know, polarization is one, and the influence on the school community, too, is, especially in Christian education, a sort of increasing sense of hostility toward faith-based morality and teaching and then, you know, I'd say the third challenge that I think is one of the most common ones is making private education accessible to as many kids as possible. And, you know, the funding that goes into that. And so as I think about those in order, I think the first one is I chose that one first because it's the most pressing. Polarization, it comes from sort of, right, well, you get hit from both sides, you know, um, I think for the Christian school or private schools that tend to take a more traditional approach to the instilling of values, virtue, faith, there's these external pressures, right, from social agendas that run contrary to the school's mission. You know, those kind of tend to get labeled as woke progressivism and dealing with, you know, the influences of that, not just from the outside, but also, you know, our young people have an increasingly you know, progressive ideal and mentality because of the way that their thinking is shaped and formed by social media, by YouTubers and all all sorts of influences that we don't really have a whole lot of control over. And then, but actually super interesting, I think the internal pressures from what might be called the right end of the spectrum can be at times even more challenging for Christian schools to deal with. So, you know, thinking about things like we want to protect our students and so we can't allow any of the, we can't engage in these, we need to protect them from these conversations. And so 
I think what I see as one of the greatest challenges in dealing with polarization for Christian schools in particular is how do we engage culture and build communities that are defined by warmth, welcome, love, those things that we want to be known for, while at the same time not sort of, you know, like caving into the fears that some people have about sliding away from what a biblical definition and tradition is for what is truth, what is right, what is wrong. There still is a thing as capital T truth, and there is still a thing such as right and wrong. And we have to thread that needle as Christian schools of being full of love and warmth and acceptance and firm in our convictions about what scriptures teach. So from a Christian school perspective, polarization I think is probably the biggest challenge we're dealing with. So that's one. Two is that increasing hostility toward faith-based education. And you know, it's super interesting. I don't know if you saw this yesterday. The Wall Street Journal had a story. If you don't follow, I think it's one of the best um, it's worth the subscription dollars because it gives you such a, I think, a, a pretty balanced approach to things. And so they put out this article about the decline of religious involvement. And it, it said that in 1998, 62% of Americans define themselves as being religiously involved or highly connected to their faith. And then today that's 39%. Uh, of Americans and you know in terms of community involvement you know like being connected in a part of the community and trying to engage in positive community interactions 47 percent in 98 27 percent today and it made me think about in this kind of current cultural climate it made me think about this video that I saw I think it's probably more than a decade old now by a Harvard business professor by the name of Clay Christensen. And the name of it was something like Clay Christensen on, on religious freedom. I just looked it up yesterday. You can still find it on YouTube. It's just a 90 second piece, but it's about the centrality of the importance of religious faith, not just Christian, but you know, all of the religious traditions and how they inform a functioning democracy. And because and then to look at, juxtapose what he was talking about a decade ago and to see the decline in participation and then the growing unrest and division in our national conversation, I see those really, really interconnected. So those two really go to, and then I think the third thing is, you know, making it, making private education as accessible as possible. You know, it's expensive to run a private school if you're gonna do it well, because teachers deserve to be paid really well, and then you've got facilities and programs and the whole other you know, host of expenses. So figuring out how we bring in tuition income dollars that support a really robust, excellent education, but also figuring out ways to fund that education for families who simply can't afford it. That's one of the biggest challenges going forward because we're in an economy that's not getting easier on this topic. So those are the three things that really stick out to me as our biggest challenges. Man. So give me the quick recap one more time now. Just the quick quick thing on the three because I have a couple ones on number two and number three, but for the listeners of the three, give me the three again. Polarization increasing hostility toward faith-based morality and education, and three, making private education as accessible as possible to all families. Okay. And I think 
and I know this is different based on every state, obviously where we're going, but I know right now there's a ton going on with school choice and yeah. that going at Supreme Court stuff. I know here in Florida, there's a ton going on with school choice where I know there's scholarships that there's currently available where I know I have some friends from church that are going to one of the local Christian schools and they are getting the grant from the state of Florida or so, whatever it is, scholarship from the state of Florida to pay for a Christian school. And that's awesome. Like that's crazy that that's even out there. So I'm hoping that progresses in some way where people are just are able to choose. And if they are in this district for a private school, maybe they don't have the means to, but they, they can go because there's an option for that. Do you, what, I mean, it's kind of a curveball question in a way, but what do you kind of see here in California? I don't know if you know much of what's going on politically over there when it comes to school choice, but what's kind of your take? Let's, let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, all of your friends out here in California will say, do not hold your breath for school choice funding. That's mm-hmm. not a thing in this state. And it's wonderful. I think, listen, in a free democratic society, a free market society, competition is good. It, is a really good thing and it forces everybody to be their best and that's one of that that's a rabbit trail we could go down quite a ways and i'll leave it at that but we know that if people have choices and dollars start start walking out the door for that may be it forces you to change and to evolve to be your best so it's not going to be a thing here in california as far as anybody can but you know this market i think there, there are some advantages in California because of the current state of public education, which I will insert right here. I'm not anti-public education. I was a public school educator. I believe that it needs to be great, but there are so many challenges, and it feels like um, it feels like one of those garden hoses that they've lost control of or something. You know, popping <laughs> all over the place. We got to get a handle on it, but I'm, I don't, you know, that's a lot of really smart people have not been able to figure that out just yet. But the benefit for us in private education in California, people are leaving the state in droves. In fact, last two years are the first two years where more people left the state of California than came into it. But for all those folks that are staying, they want something better. And right now, and you know, as I think about what our what our advantages are, what's going well, um, the market forces and our product in private education is a real advantage. Yeah. Do you see? Because I know it's, I've seen this across different parts of the country with what we do, but have you seen California like private schools being kind of just infiltrated then with like people wanting to go there? But are people? I mean, I guess maybe this is more speaking to the old the school you just left. Like, did you guys have? a waiting list and did you have scholarship options to offer people or did you have to turn lots of people away like what was the kind of that landscape like for where you were at yeah i can answer that from my most recent school but also because i you know in about an hour from now i'll be on another zoom call with some colleagues from throughout the state of california we keep in very close touch and we talk about these these things a lot and what I can tell you is, yeah, our schools are full and growing as a general rule. And the reasons that they are growing is because there is a really compelling product. You know, we did, everybody knows that private education, I think, across like secular, religious, whatever, went up something like 30% on average in America over the course of the pandemic. 
And, uh, but what we found is there was this concern, and I think it's still playing out to some extent, but will they all leave once, you know, once the pandemic is over? What we found is that people did not leave. There was a small number of people who went back to public education, but mostly people said, we had no idea what we were missing. And I'm so grateful and we'll never go back. And that's what I'm seeing and that's what my colleagues have seen as well. And I've seen that from just friends of ours who tried the homeschool route. They did that and they're like, actually, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And they like are continuing to do it because they're like, able to do that. And you know, granted, I know that's a, there's not everybody who can do that, but yeah. they, it worked for their family. Their kids were older, so it's a little bit easier to do it too. But the landscape of education in America is just so interesting. It's like, I'm sitting back watching it going, this is really, what, what's the next few years look like for the pandemic, which really bolst, like forced us to go digital in a lot of areas, in a lot of ways that we hadn't thought of before. And then yeah. what, does it, what does it look like? I mean, I've heard more and more. It's funny, it's come up three or four times for me and talking to schools the last week, the one room schoolhouse model has come up like three or four times that it's, which my wife and I were looking at that model for our son of like, oh, that's a really cool model, kind of going a little old school where it's one teacher, one room, 15 students from all different ages that are in one room. And I was like, huh. So it doesn't even have to be, you know, people are listening going, oh man, I, maybe I could start my own school one day or what that that's longing on your heart. It doesn't have to be a 500 kid school. You buy a multi-million dollar building, you know, you could rent a little facility and do a one-room schoolhouse model from your home like there's so many options for education now that i just don't think maybe people realize or it's just cool the opportunity in america when it comes to just education that we have at our fingertips that we could technically do or jump into but i don't know i've heard that come up three or four times which just kind of make me laugh now like okay people are really looking at this one-room schoolhouse model and uh yeah the more i guess like the 21st century terminology for it is micro schools mm -hmm. and you know I think the number one thing is no matter what you're, there's always going to be a market for the a traditional school setting right building with students and large small everything in between but I think the key is no matter what kind of school it is is to be innovative and within your market whatever kind of school you're trying to be and to be excellent at what you're doing so if you are truly showing that what you have is an excellent product because micro schools are not going to be for everyone homeschooling has blown up for sure but it's not for everyone that's hard man i'm a professional educator and i would just tell you i couldn't dream of I have so much respect for people who do that well because it's not always done well and then you know it's not, that's not good for America either. But whatever kind of school, whether it's homeschool, it's a micro school, it's a more traditional school, you have to be innovative and you have to be excellent. And if you are, there's, I just believe there, that there's a market for whatever you're doing for people who recognize your excellence. Mm. We just had a guest on, I think his episode was a week or two ago that we recorded and published it. It's in Tampa Bay Christian Academy. Yeah, hey, uh, talking about when he was, took over, he immediately got rid of athletics when he took over because he said our focus was in athletics and not academics. And he, we were kind of like all over the place. We said, I got rid of athletics, focus on academics. Everybody thought the school would kind of dwindle and go away, and it didn't. We actually thrived and grew, and now we're adding it back, like slowly adding it back. But he said, like, you, you said, you know, 
we have to be innovative. Like, what's something we have to do to just make it through? And that was one of the things he thought of doing, which I'm like, oh my gosh, that was brave. Because I feel like that's not what I would have thought of doing, but it's also why yeah. I kind of screwed <laughs> Yes, that is a big risk. But he's not wrong that, you know, at the, our core base is education. What are we doing here? And I think the God of sport in America has created a tremendous imbalance in it, especially in, well, I think across public and private, but in private education, it can be really a driver as opposed to something that helps you accentuate and accomplish the full mission and vision of the school. I'm actually an enormous proponent of athletics. I think I have no idea about that context. It was probably a great idea, and I'm super interested to hear more about what he did. But I believe that academics should be... Um, can be a really powerful multiplier in what we're doing in Christian education. You know, just knowing the influence and power of coaches and the influence of what I learned as an athlete growing up. So, But I love the idea of thinking outside of the box and saying, hey, we're going we're to disrupt this model for a moment to build back to what we really want to be. Sounds really interesting. I think it was on the actual recording of the podcast itself. So if you look, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. I'm pretty sure we were recording when he talked about that. I was like, oh my gosh. That's okay. Yeah, I'll have to listen. For uh, sure. Well, kind of moving around along, I know we talk about challenges. I'd love to hear from your perspective. What's going really good? Like, what have you seen that maybe it was your school or other schools doing in your work that you're like, man, like that is sweet and it's working well for them? Yeah, well... I was thinking about answering this question because you asked me to kind of think about this in advance. I was thinking about what's going well in Christian education in general. And I'd say part of it is, a big part of it is what we've just been talking about. I mean, growth, market forces, and they're very related. And then the third is the superiority of the product. You know, like, um, I was just talking, I've been talking with a lot of colleagues about this. There's a guy who I just met the last couple of weeks. His name is Jack Price, works with Open Sky Education and specifically with a branch that helps to found new Christian schools. And they're opening schools across the country. And in his research, one of the things he shared with me is he told me that he believes that there will be somewhere between one and three million new students in Christian education. I think he said over the next decade or something like that. So there's tremendous opportunity there, and that's going really well for us. And then the market forces are just, like I said, what we were just talking about is, you know, families are looking for a better match for who they are and what they want their children to be influenced by than what they're currently experiencing. And they're finding a lot of different, some of, as you said, many of them are just doing the homeschool route and saying, we're gonna do this ourselves. Others are going to different private institutions and particularly Christians, or people who may not be Christians, but say, I want that kind of environment where they're teaching my kids morality, virtue, as well as the third rail to it, which frankly, I think is one of our if we're doing it right, Mitchell, which so many Christian schools are, is there's just a superior product. Mm -hmm. The academics, like the things that they deal with in the classroom, there's so much less distraction, focus on the quality of the excellence. The teachers are dedicated and passionate about what they do. I see this in schools all across the country. We just have incredible teachers in Christian education that are still, they're doing what, Teachers have done in America for hundreds of years, but 
they're starting to become a distinction where those characteristics are not true of every school. And so the superior product, I think, is the thing that may be going best for Christian schools in this market right now. And I do see people getting caught up too when they go, oh man, the school is really good, but all oh, they don't have sports, they don't have football, they don't have whatever. And I kind of get hung up on that. But unless every state is different with this, I know, I mean, I don't know how you guys could, you could probably speak to this a little bit. If I was to go to the Christian school that didn't have a sport, could I still play for the local public schools team? I don't know if you guys allow that. I know, no, oh, no, so no, that wasn't allowed in California. No. Man. No, and, and so that's like, we touched on this a second ago. To me, you know, my vision for excellent Christian education, if you're going to be in the full service, robust market of, you know, full service school is, I think we need to be excellent in everything we do and athletics and the arts are those areas. Because listen, kids are choosing where they're going to high school more than parents a lot of times. I don't think it should be be that way necessarily but it is and one of the major drivers is you know how is there I want to play football I want to be at what they really want is the full experience of a a big thriving high school so yeah that's why I think listen what a powerful thing if a kid is a volleyball player and you put them in you, you say come come to our Christian school we have the best volleyball program. We just won CIF last year. You know, we compete in the playoffs every year, whatever your metrics are. But beyond that, it's only half of it. The excellence, I mean, in all things excellence, right, in our programs. But the powerful multipliers, I was saying, is these are coaches that are really instilling and modeling an authentic faith and are shaping kids to become who they're meant to be. That's powerful. And so that's why I think as a school, we don't build championship programs because sports is a god. We do it to achieve the full mission of the school. And athletics is a huge way of doing that spiritually. And those life lessons and work ethic that do apply to whatever they go and do professionally after they graduate. Sports are so, I'm a huge proponent of sports. I follow sports very passionately, and my son's only three at the moment. But I'm like, well, I want him to play something. And that's actually the part where my wife and I have talked about, like, what do we want him to play? And my opinion as a father, and everybody has their own opinion on this, I would love him to do at least one sport that's all him, by himself, like tennis, golf, something that's like, this is on you. Like, it's on you, and then a team sport. I loved team sports growing up, so I played football and basketball and all that. But... I love that because it's like it takes more than you to win this game, Absolutely. you know. And so, but I also want to like, hey, if you lost golf today, that was you because <laughs> it's all about yeah. you. So, yeah. we'll, see. we'll see what happens. I hope he plays one of those. But I'm not gonna make. Also, not gonna make him play one of those either. But sports mm-hmm. are important. I just know from when I grew up in Alaska and was homeschooled my whole life. And what was cool is I was able to be homeschooled and play for the local public school with how they have the laws and stuff in Alaska. And I love that because homeschool didn't have a football team so I was able to go play for a local public school make friends there and it was the weird kid that I remember when they announced because I played quarterback and I remember my senior year I was like starting quarterback and they announced my name and I remember people they were saying to me afterwards like nobody knew who the heck you were and I was like I know because I don't go to the school so like this homeschool quarterback comes out there and uh, nobody knows who the heck he is so I thought mm-hmm. that was hilarious. well we've talked about challenges we talked about things that are going really really good but I like to typically you know kind of wrap up the episode getting like your favorite 
quote or words of advice or something that you'd want to share with school leaders that are listening? Maybe we can digest that a little bit, depending on what you share, because I don't know what you're going to share. But what would you say to all the listeners? Yeah, no, thank you. I think, you know, in my 17 years in Christian school leadership, I think the thing that has become increasingly clear to me is the importance of defining and institutionalizing your school culture. The single most important thing that I have learned to do in my schools is to to intentionally shape the culture of our school. Um, I don't know if I asked you this when we talked last week, but Patrick Lencioni is one of my favorite authors. He writes extensively on organizational health. He's brilliant. If you're listening and you haven't read The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, I think that's his seminal work on organizational health. But, you know, one of the big questions that he says every organization needs to ask is, how do we behave? And I think it's such a valuable and important question because how we behave shapes what our organizations are actually like. Everybody talks about culture, right? I mean, I was listening to a couple of the pod, your previous podcasts, and people reference culture, and I heard you know people talk about culture. But there's a like I was I've read a lot on this, and one of the quotes from a Harvard Business Review article that I read recently is from Michael Watkins, who's a professor and author. He says, the concept of a company's culture is notoriously hard to define. While there is universal agreement that, one, it exists, and two, it plays a crucial role in shaping organizations, there is little consensus on what organizational culture actually is, never mind how it influences behavior and whether it is something that leaders can change. And I think we can change it. I think we can shape it. I think we can define it. And I think we can institutionalize it. And that's kind of the work that I've been doing with my own schools and speaking with other schools. Um, defining our culture with actual words that are aligned to our, what I call, operational imperatives. Like, what do we exist for? This, like, for me, the things that our school exists for are academic and programmatic excellence, okay, spiritual development, and then a thriving community life. Those are the three things that if you say, what is our school all about? Okay, so what are the cultural words, values, characteristics that help us achieve that? And the reason I think it's so important is everybody talks about mission and vision, and it's not that. It actually, so this is what I'd say is like, if you have some extra time, go look up 20 or 50 or however many Christian school mission and vision statements. They all kind of say a lot, some version of the same things. We're about, everybody's about academic excellence. And in Christian schools, everybody's about cultivating a spiritual formation in their kids. And the vision is, to prepare students who go and make an impact on the world for Christ, or however it is said. You'll find that. But are all of our schools the same? No. They're, I mean, they're wildly different. And I am suggesting that it's because of the culture of those schools in which those mission and vision statements are carried out. That's what influences a kid's actual experience more than anything else. So 
when you take the time to say, this is what we mean by academic and programmatic excellence. We probably don't have time on this podcast for me to kind of go into the process, but I have developed sort of a couple of days focused intensive on the process of identifying your culture and letting it drive your community. Because once you've identified them, then all elements of your operation need to be driven by that culture. So your admissions process, your hiring process, if you hire people that don't embody that culture, it's not gonna be true of who you are as a school. So, you know, I could talk more about those things and the specifics about them. This is my biggest passion is helping schools clearly define their culture so that, you know, when you ask the community, hey, is this true about us? That they could say, yes, that is 100% true of this school. Because you've not only defined it, but you've institutionalized it in your practices and your people. So. Mm. And you, That's my biggest advice. I love it, and I agree with it because you will see, and this is for churches too. You go to a church, so they have the same, typically yes. like a mission vision, but there is a culture difference. When you walk in, you're like, this feels different immediately when you walk in the doors or you're greeted or whatever. And I know the same yeah. place for that. And even businesses, I mean, you can walk in a Chick-fil-A and you can, even then you can, it feels the same, but there's still a, almost like almost a different feel per, per location based on the people that they have in place there. I might be a little way too broad probably, but. No, I think absolutely. I like to compare yeah. Trader Joe's versus the DMV, right? <laughs> You walk into Trader Joe's and like people are just friendly, but not in a weird way for the most part. And it's like you get in line and there's like one person in front of you and then somebody just sort of magically appears as I could take you over here. You know, it's like, wow, this is like, this is beautiful. And DMV, like you better bring like something from Dostoevsky to keep you entertained because it's going to be a long wait. So, yeah, I mean, culture and, and the way that we operate, it's felt the moment you walk in mm. well i know i try to keep the podcast of certain a certain length but i would love to do this because i don't want people here they go oh yeah that's cool and good but if you were to give them like three action steps two action steps something like they they can literally from today's episode go i'm going to try and implement one of those or something well if you could give them one let's try and like real quick just so i have something a nugget to leave with i love that okay so I'd said that the three things are academics and programs, spiritual thriving and community, you know, building of community. So part of the process is, okay, what words define your community? Like, how do you want your people to behave? In other words, when people don't do this, that it sticks out like a sore thumb and say, this, this person or this way of operating is a mismatch with our culture. So choosing those words and that takes time to wrestle with that and say well these are because you can't have too many or they just get lost in the wash but i will tell you like at my most recent school here here are the community cultural characteristics that we chose enthusiasm positivity fun relationships and authenticity now that's you know like you they're not on the screen, so maybe people are going to like to say those again. But what we did with each of those is we defined what that meant. So, like, you know, one of the things we struggle with in schools is the 
negativity, right? I mean, no matter where you are, Christian school, public school, what any kind of school, um, people can be negative. And we elevate that characteristic of positivity and we define it and say, this is how we behave. It doesn't mean that there's never conflict or complaints or whatever, but it's done in a way. It's done in a positive way. So if you are creating a negative environment, you have something that says, this is just not who we are. And so I just want to kind of put a bow on that. When we really focused on these cultural characteristics, we tracked our net promoter score. Our listeners are probably familiar with that. We went from a 34 in, I think, 2018, which is kind of below. It's not, no bueno. It's, you don't want to be in the 30s. To a 71 last year. That's world class. Because in large part, we just find all those cultural characteristics and it literally transformed our school community. So it's a little nugget for people that you are. I love it. And if somebody wanted to get in touch with you afterwards, Chris, after an episode, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, my email address is rutsedconsulting at gmail.com. Drop me an email and I'd love to talk to you about developing culture at your school. Love it. Cool. Chris, thank you for taking time out of your day to chat. I love what you're doing. I love your background. I love all the years that you've poured into Christian education and the kind of the mini legacy that you've left in families and students that have gone through under your care. So wishing you nothing but the best if you're at a future school or with your educational consulting side. So just thank you so much for giving up your time today, man. Thanks, Mitchell. Appreciate you asking me on and had a lot of fun today. Well, another huge shout out and a thank you to Chris for taking time and being on the podcast today. I love what he's doing. I love all the years of service that he's put into education and I'm wishing him and his business nothing but the best. And again, I want to do a big plug for our sponsor for today's episode, America's Christian Credit Union. I know I plugged them at the beginning of the episode, but feel free to check them out online. In fact, I encourage you to do that to see all the things that they offer. It's americaschristiancu.com forward slash schools. That's americaschristiancu.com forward slash schools. Again, the tuition financing options that they offer are incredible and such a great service to Christian schools who greatly need them. So go check them out. And again, if you guys are a school listening, you're struggling with your enrollment and how to grow and you're kind of just stuck and not really sure what to do, I want you to check us out online. We have some great resources for you. You can see it at schoolsuccessmakers.com. That is schoolsuccessmakers.com. Go over to the site. We're going to have more and more content coming out there later this year. So we want you to get over there. You can subscribe to our newsletter, the School Success Report Card. We have some great content that's going to be in there as well. So go connect over there. And again, if you're a Facebook user, I always love to put this plug in there. But please join our private Facebook community just for school leaders called School Success Makers. Because that's what you guys are, your school success makers. So please go join that private group over on Facebook. I'm personally in there. I'd love to personally see you in there as well. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, ideas, or anything for this podcast, I would love for you guys to reach out to us as well. You can do that on our website. Love to hear your feedback. And I love if you're enjoying this podcast, the way it gets out to more people is your five-star reviews. So if you, whatever you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, we'd rate and review from you for five stars if you're loving our content because it does take a lot of time and a lot of effort to put these out. And we love doing them. We're going to continue to do them, but we'd love to have some feedback from you guys and a five-star review. So again, anything, let us know. But we will be here next week with another amazing guest as usual on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.